Amen. Go ahead, if you will, this morning and find, if you will, the passage of Mark chapter 4, the gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, as we look at God's word together, as we study together. You know, there is a difference between hearing and listening. You realize that, right? There is a difference between hearing something and actually listening to something. I think I probably learned that best when I got married. I realized that there was a major difference in just hearing the words and hearing the vibrations of air and listening to what the message was. I understood that. Now, I will be honest, I'm still learning daily about that, but I began to see that there was a difference. Of course, I also understand that there's an appropriate moment to really have a conversation to listen, right? I cannot listen. I can hear, but I cannot listen too well during a Saturday football game. Have you ever noticed that, some of you guys? Although yesterday, should I even go there? Should I even? I mean, some of you are looking. Loy's not here this morning. Some of you think he's called in sick. He's over in Texas supposedly for a baby dedication, but I think it's family support now is what he needs. I wished he was here because in so many ways I could just be empathetic with him this morning. You know what I'm talking about? We could be brothers in misery. That's all I can tell you. I, I, I said to myself last night, why was I not born in the state of Alabama? Why? <laughs> Would have made my life so much easier. Thanks to Louisiana Tech for finally beating an Alabama team, by the way. But anyway, you know, there are moments, there are moments where we're able to like listen maybe. Instead of just hearing, we're listening, we're processing. Even in the church life, I recognize that there's a difference when there's a spoken word of hearing something and actually listening to it, actually processing it. Uh, And it's always a challenge. Look, as a preacher coming and trying to be able to present a message and looking at I know it's always a challenge to somehow keep the attention of individuals and also help them as they listen and they don't just hear. Well, Jesus gives us a parable here about hearing but also listening. He gives us a parable about how we are to listen to what he would say to his message and we are to internalize it and allow it to continue in our lives not to allow it to be snatched away or not for it to be somehow smothered by other things but for us to hear the word and to respond with endurance i want you to see this again in mark chapter 4 we have this parable that's given to us it's the only parable that's actually recorded in matthew mark and luke all together this one uh, parable is recorded in each one of them And this is Jesus teaching his disciples to listen, to hear the word, and to flesh out what it means to really obey his word. Look in verse 1, if you will, and it says, And again, he began to teach by the sea. So here's Jesus making his way around. We've looked at it over the last few weeks, how he goes by the Sea of Galilee. He sees different individuals, and he's just finding opportunities to teach. And as he is teaching, it says, a great multitude was gathered to him 
So in other words, as he's teaching, there are people that note that Jesus is there. They're coming. They're kind of just gathering around. And you can imagine, here you are on the, on the bank of the, of the sea, of the lake. And all of these people are gathering around. You're trying to keep their attention. You're trying to teach. And this is what Jesus does. Practically, it says that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So Jesus gets in this like boat and he just kind of moves out into the water just a little bit. It's kind of like the boat itself is his pulpit. And he's using that to preach and teach because now they're all kind of lined up. They're there on the, on the seashore and he is able to teach them. Look in verse 2. And then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. So note the first phrase there. He taught many things by parables. So he's telling them these stories. Now, when I was growing up, I heard that the definition of a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I don't know if you ever heard that, but that was kind of the way I was taught coming up in Sunday school, that a parable in the scripture was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Others have said that it was a short true-to-life story that was told with the intent of teaching a spiritual truth. Jesus used these often, these stories, these parables. He would use everyday activities, everyday uh, objects to be able to illustrate his teaching. Notice even later on in this chapter, he'll use a basket, he'll use a lamp, He'll use a seed. He uses all kinds of just everyday objects. He might choose a coin. He might choose a sheep. Jesus just picks the things that he sees in everyday life and he uses that. Even everyday activities. Whether it's walking into a vineyard and the workers that would be involved there. Or whether he is talking about the shepherd taking care of his sheep. He'll just use everyday activities. You know as I was thinking about that, how Jesus would just use these parables, these short true-to-life stories that were used to teach a spiritual truth, as he would use that. I, I wonder how he would just transform it today, how he would use things today in the contemporary world. I mean, how Jesus would make reference to technology today. Maybe some of his stories would talk about the smartphone or the iPad or talk about Googling so you know what that is, right? Everybody. Maybe Jesus would use stories like that. Or maybe Jesus would just use just everyday activities. Maybe like driving to work. I hate to tell you, but there are a lot of parables that come out of driving to work in the morning. Driving to work. Or just sitting down at a coffee shop and drinking coffee or... I mean, Jesus would just have used these everyday stories, these everyday activities that people see, whether it's working in a line or walking into a, a doctor's office or going into the plant. He would have used all of those kinds of activities. That's all he was doing. He just looks around. He sees everyday activities, everyday objects, and he uses those objects and those activities to teach spiritual truth. So that's what it says Jesus was doing. He began to just teach in parables, he would tell stories to teach a truth. With that being said, Mark then launches out into this parable. 
He gives us what Jesus is teaching. Literally, this story that he is teaching to this multitude of individuals. Verse 3, Jesus says, listen, I think the key to this parable, by the way, is found in that word. Listen. Listen. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. And yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And then he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or in other words, listen. Listen to what I just told you. I just gave you a story. Again, he just chose this common activity of sowing, of planting, he chose this to be able to illustrate a deeper spiritual truth. Now, basically, in the New Testament world, the Palestinian would go out and he would begin to sow. Basically, the common method was just kind of broadcasting with your hand the seed. He might have a little apron. He would broadcast it around. I started to try to illustrate it a little bit better for you by dressing appropriately. I, I told Leslie... Yesterday, I said, you know, I think the last time I preached on this, it's been years ago. I, I dressed up in overalls, and I had my little satchel, and I had stuff, and I tried to come and present it that way. Leslie said, yeah, that wasn't that good. <laughs> and certainly, overalls would not have been the attire of the Palestinian farmer. So I got that. It would not have been authentic New Testament stuff. But, you know, you kind of think about it. This is just your everyday farmer planter. He's out there, and he is just broadcasting the seed. And the way they would do this, uh, Jackie, Tommy, the way they would do it back then is they would broadcast the seed, and then they would plow it in. They didn't really do much preparation beforehand. They just went out, they broadcast the seed, then they would plow it into the ground so it would grow appropriately. So Jesus says, hey, you've got this guy. He goes out there. He's broadcasting indiscriminately. He's just kind of throwing out the seed. And there's some that falls by the wayside. It's over toward maybe the road or the path. And you can imagine this. The road or the path that's been beaten down by all of the traffic. It's hard for that seed to penetrate the ground. So before it can be plowed in, the, the birds come and they take it and no more seed. They devour it. And, of course, then you've got the stony ground, and there the, the seed goes in. It goes in a little bit. It springs up, but it has no real anchor, no real root. So when the sun is scorching in the Middle Eastern heat and climate, it just withers and dies. And then you've got that that goes down a little deeper, and it grows. But because there's no roundup and those kinds of things in the middle, you've got the thorns and all the things that just grow up around it and choke it out. But then there's that good ground. Where the seed goes down and it, is, it has enough moisture and enough anchor and root 
for it to continue to not only endure, but it, it actually reproduces 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus said, that's a great story. So Jesus tells the story, says, listen up, hear this. Look in verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So Jesus said, listen, here's a good story. I'm going to tell you this. Got a spiritual truth. It's a parable. Make sure you catch it. After everybody kind of has started moving out and the crowd is dispersing, you've got more of the 12 and maybe the inner circle of the disciples, those that are closer to him. And they say, Jesus, by the way, that story you told, we didn't quite get it. Would you tell us what you meant by that story? And Jesus says something rather remarkable here in verse 11. He says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing that they may see and not perceive and hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And look in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So Jesus said, this again is about hearing and listening and perceiving. Just like it was with Isaiah the prophet. That those who were seeking him, those who were, uh, those that were prepared, they could receive the word. There was a discerning factor that was there. A dividing factor between those who were really trying to implement this word and those who were dismissing that word and he said how can you not get this because this is all about hearing this is all about listening in so many ways this parable is the key to all parables because in this parable i'm trying to teach you how you can truly hear god's message and that you can apply it and that you can move in your discipleship he said in so many ways it's the key not just to hear, but to listen. To listen. Look in verse 14. Because Jesus is very gracious here. He doesn't always flesh out the meaning in this detail for us as we look through the Gospels. Now, I am told over in, chap- in verse 33 and 34 of this same chapter that Jesus did do this with his disciples. There were other moments where he pulled them aside and gave them a little more insight to explain clearly to them what he was saying. But in the scripture, he doesn't always detail the parables in such a way for us. But he does this one. Again, because it's the key. You got to get this idea of truly listening. So look in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. So the sower is the individual who is out sowing the word. So the seed, okay, the sower sows the seed, right? That's in the initial story. So if you are sowing the word, that means that the seed is the word. And the sower can be anybody, certainly. In this case, though, it is Jesus who is teaching, who is sowing the word to them, who is giving them the word. Jesus is doing that. He sows the seed. He gives us his word, right? He is the divine revelation of the Father. And he is showing us his word. He is teaching. I I, I love this. I got back up last night. I was rather late. I went into my closet. That's where I keep my little Greek New Testament a lot of times. And 
I don't know why it's just strange, but I go into the closet, I turn on the lights, everything else is dark in the household. Leslie said, what are you doing? It's time to go to sleep. I said, there's, I lay down and there's just something about, there's this one word I want to know. She said, what are you doing? I said, I just got to find this one word. The word here, the term for this word, what is this? And I looked it up in the Greek New Testament again. It is the, it is the Greek term logon or logos. Remember John chapter 1. Jesus is going to be identified as the Word, as the Logos. So, this may not excite you, but it does me, all right? Jesus is spreading the Word, and He is the Word. I mean, here's Jesus. He's coming to sow the Word, and we get to sow the Word. But the Word itself is divinely revealed is Jesus. So, Jesus is getting to impart His character to people, who He is, His identity. We get to do that as well. When we get to sow the seed. So he's sowing the seed. He says, hey, the seed is the word. The sower is anyone who obviously proclaims the word, declares the word. But in this case, it's me. And I'm revealing myself to individuals. I'm the one who's sowing. And here's the response. This is how you can interpret the way the seed falls on the different soils. Look in verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away that word that was sown in their hearts. He says, so this is how you interpret the story. Those who have fallen on this wayside, maybe on the road or the path, that, that ground that it's... it's virtually impossible to penetrate he said that that represents those individuals that have heard the word they've heard about me and yet what has happened is that satan has come and he has taken away that word immediately it's like those birds who have come in and they've eaten the seed the satan has come and just snatched it immediately away so when I'm reading this passage, especially the following verses, I realize that Satan uses basically three things to keep us from truly listening to the Word. Satan uses the present, he uses the persecution, and he uses the prosperity to keep us from really processing and listening to the Word. Let me, let me give you that one again. He uses the present. What do you mean by that? I mean, the things that are going on right now, notice it's like immediately Satan just took the word. He took the seed before it could penetrate. Have you ever noticed how like you can be sharing with somebody or talking about God or, or working through things and it's like immediately in that moment something seems to happen where Satan is trying to Grab that seed. He's trying to do everything he can to stop that person from coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. Or maybe that person from hearing a refreshed word of Christ. He's trying to do everything he can. So what does he do? He uses everything he can in the present moment in this to distract, to stop his word, God's word, from being implanted in the heart. 
He's doing everything he can. Of course, okay, so I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'll, oftentimes I can, I can tell uh, just the distractions that can happen within this room, for example, right? Or in the gathering. Whether you're in the sanctuary, the gathering, wherever you are, and you're meeting together, God can use all, or let me say this. God can use those moments to speak to us. Satan will try to use the distractions to stop us from hearing. And there are distractions. Sometimes it may be the thoughts of opening day of bow season. That we're thinking about. Of getting home. Of trying to of trying to make sure we get there this afternoon, get everything that's done. Or maybe it's just what we're having for lunch. The different thoughts that come in our heart. Hey, Andy, I'm not throwing you under the bus at all, my friend. Because despite what the article said the other day, the sound man is not always to blame. But technology... Do you know how many times I've been preaching and I would get to the moment of invitation and I think, okay, this is the moment. And I'm not just blaming it again on the sound, but I'm saying all of a sudden everything, it seemed to go crazy. The mic started squealing. This started happening. Don't believe this isn't some kind of spiritual warfare we're in. When we get to these moments, this is the moment where people are making decisions for eternity. Don't you think that Satan wouldn't do whatever he could to stop that from happening so maybe it was that cell phones cell phones going off i don't want to call in cell phones or maybe we're just looking down checking things that can distract us hey believe it or not i was at first baptist zachary one day leslie will tell you i was preaching my heart out i mean it was good i wasn't dressed in overalls but it was good it was awesome and then all of a sudden, you'll not believe this, a black bird came out of the ceiling and started flying around the congregation. I told the people, I don't know what this means. If it had been a dove, I'd known it was God's presence in the place. Blackbirds, I'm not sure. Satan will use everything he can to stop, try to stop his word from being implanted. And look, that's just in this context. Think about when you're talking to somebody on the street corner, when you're talking to somebody in your house, how things will happen. Look, I have had so many gospel-centered, I've had so many gospel-centered conversations in people's homes where a cat or a dog was a major distraction. Can you believe that? But they're all Satan will do whatever he can. To stop God's word from being implanted. And that's what Jesus says here. Jesus says that Satan will come and immediately take away the word that was sown in their hearts. Notice this though. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. Who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. So there's excitement. There's joy. They hear the word. They respond. But it seems that it's just an emotional response and not a life change response. Because it says they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. 
Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises from the world's sake, immediately they stumble. So Satan will use the present, but then he will also use persecution. In other words, people accept Christ, they come to follow, and then there's all of this hard stuff that comes afterwards. Jesus never promised us following him would be easy. If anything, following him will be difficult. He said there would be those that would come against. It's going to get hard. Hey, some of you will follow Christ and you'll go back in your workplace and people will probably have snide remarks about you. And this turning a new leaf, this newfound religion that you have, they'll begin to kind of criticize you in their own way. Hey, you got, some of you got family members. Some of you got family members that if you were to come and you were to give your heart and life to Christ, you were to follow Him, or you were to simply respond to Him the way He asked you to, and you were to obedient about some things in your life, some of your family members would say, you're crazy. Why would you do those kinds of things? Why would you do these things? It was bad enough when you started going to church. But why would you get so serious about Bible study and prayer? And the, why would you, There are so many other things to do. And what happens is that the lack of transformation demonstrates itself the persecution comes just as the sun scorches and your testimony withers and it is given way. You were emotionally moved, but you were not spiritually changed. I was preaching one Sunday at Pine Grove in Picayune. I walked to the back to speak to people and, of course, shake their hands as they went out. And there was this young guy that came by me. Never forget this. He came by me and he said, Brother Reggie, he said, I want you to know that was a great message today and it warmed my heart. Never forget him saying that. And I also could feel my head just totally expanding there in the foyer. I almost couldn't stand there. I had to step outside. It was getting so big. The pride was swelling up in me that somehow I had warmed this guy's heart. About three days later, he was arrested. He was placed in the local correctional facility because of abuse, because of what he had done, actions against certain individuals. I can't tell you how many times his words have rung in my ear. And I cannot tell you how many times I have cried out to God and said, God, please do not let me warm the hearts of people. But God, when I speak, will you transform the hearts of people? There's a difference. God, would you change individuals? Not that we just emotionally respond. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with the emotional response. God calls all of us, but he wants more than just an emotional response from us. He wants our will and our mind. 
He wants our heart. He wants our soul and our spirit. He wants everything about us. So persecution can be used by Satan to take the word. But also prosperity and perhaps even greater here. Prosperity. Notice. Now these are the ones who are sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things entering in choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. These are individuals who come and they have responded to the word of God. And it seems like they're on the right track, but it just all the things of this world, all the cares, all the activities, prosperity, good things that come. Hey, note this. Basically, these are good things. I know we don't think of thorns as being good things, but the way Jesus identifies this is these are just good things but that grow up like thorns. And before you know it, they have strangled our spiritual vitality. They have overwhelmed us. I think this is the greater instrument of Satan today than even that of persecution. Especially for those of us who live in such a prosperous community and nation. That we just get caught up in things. Instead of hearing the word and allowing it, we just, we're just so busy. We just get so active. Nothing wrong with busyness, nothing wrong with activity, as long as it is somehow still giving glory to God in your life. But it's so easy just to become enamored with all these other things and that God's word and his, your relationship with him and your, your ministry for him, that's just kind of all pushed to the back burner. I'll never forget, Mr. Covington, my high school Bible teacher, used to say, you know, there are a lot of good old boys that fit into this category. A lot of good old people that fit into this category. You know, they've kind of moved away and they're not in, involved in any kind of like church activity or nothing. I mean, there's a lot of people like this. They've just kind of gone and they've been choked away by the worries of the world. But they're just good old people. First of all, let me remind you, none of us are good on our own. Not even this pastor standing here. None of us are just good old people. We are sinners saved by grace. We're dependent upon him every day. But God wants us to hear his word and to be active and to follow him. Look at verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. So these are the ones that are following, enduring, and they're producing. They're producing fruit. Not just fruit. Notice, this is just incredible harvest. Now, again, I, I see that Jackie and Tommy, different ones that you can probably tell me in the, in the day of the New Testament, a seven or eight-fold harvest would have been good. From my understanding, a 10 would have been tremendous. He just used 30, 60, 100. Talking about the superabundance of the harvest. The superabundance of the harvest. He says, those are the ones 
who have continued to endure. That's the way Jesus interprets this for us. Now, some of us naturally conclude that this deals with salvation. And I think there is an aspect where it does speak to salvation. I've been asked about this before, like these categories of people, and especially what we believe. We believe as Baptists, once saved, always saved. You've heard that over and over and over probably. I like the language, perseverance of the saints, better personally. Just because by that it means that that one which is truly saved, who has come to a true encounter with the living God, who has been converted not just emotionally but spiritually, that that individual will endure to the end. I believe that. I've read the Gospel of John. I've read First John. I've read Romans. I've read other that just tells me that God's got this salvation thing taken care of for me once I commit my life truly and I have had this encounter with him that somehow he takes care of me and nothing can separate me from his love. I believe that. So when I look at this, I do wrestle with it though. That one that is sown by the wayside. No doubt those of us in this place would say those people aren't saved. Satan took it away immediately. We know. The last one, those who are producing, we know they are saved. How about those two groups in the middle? If you were to press me, I would say to you, and some of you are not going to like this, but if you press me, I'm, I'm going to say to you, they're not really saved. Because those who have been transformed by Christ will endure. Now, I'm not saying we don't mess up. I'm not saying we're not prodigal people that go away from time to time. But I'm telling you, in the end, Jesus will never let us go farther than his grace. He will bring us back. I believe it. But, but even if I were to give on this just a little bit, even if I were just a little bit, I would say to you there's question marks by those we don't know. At best, at best, we do not know. And may I ask you this? Would you really want to live in a category of question marks? Would you really want to live in a place where you just don't know? Because I'm telling you that thanks to God and his love and his scripture, we can know. Because God did not want us to live every day with doubt in our hearts and lives. I'm not trying to create doubt on you. Listen, all I'm trying to say to you is that we need to know that we have accepted him, been transformed, and we have seen the fruit of his work in our lives. I would say to you today, if you've never had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, this needs to be the day. But this is not only, I think, about salvation. I think there is a wider application. And that is for those of us who are believers. Because you know what? Jesus, the master teacher, as we follow him, he's always teaching. He's always giving us his word. He's always revealing more of himself. What will we do? Will we allow the distractions of the present to stop us from hearing what God wants to say to us and our families and our workplaces in our school, 
Would we allow those present distractions to stop us from hearing the word? Because Satan still, listen, what Satan would still like to do is take the word from those of us who are believers, just try to snatch away what God is trying to reveal to us as he speaks to us. He'll still want to do it. Hey, those of us who are believers, let's not just get emotional during a service and say, yes, this is what we're going to do. And then Monday or Tuesday, just kind of allow that emotion to evaporate and fail to follow through with our commitments. Or those of us who are, we hear the word and we say, hey, we're going to do this. We respond. And then we get out there with all the other business and activities all the other things, all the prosperity, and we just kind of wilt. Those of us who are believers, we need to hear his word every day. To he- see his revelation to us. And yes, every day, through the power of his spirit and only through his power, produce the fruit that he would have us produce. That we could live a superabundant harvest. Daily. This is the key parable to everything else. How will we prepare our hearts? Will it be rich soil upon which the word can find nurture and strength and growth? Will we be those receptive individuals to his word? Let's listen for what he's saying to us individually today. And let's respond in obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this moment that we as a collective body can come here. We can study your word. And yes, it is your living, breathing word that we can see your revelation to us. And God, I pray that as we hear that word, that we would listen, that we would prepare our hearts, that even through this commitment time, invitation time, that we would respond as you've called us. Those of us in this place who aren't saved, God, I pray that they would respond today and they'd give their hearts and lives to you. For those of us who are saved, God, may we never stifle your word. May we never allow the distractions and the prosperity and even the bad things, the things that may we never allow that to stop us from responding obediently to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?